0: Now, take your copy of God's Word and and turn it on or or open it to Romans chapter 15. That's where we're going to be in just a moment. I want to make you aware of a couple of things. Today, as a part of our message, we'll be joining Christ followers from the last 2,000 years. And we'll be celebrating what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. So when you came in, some deacons were at the doors that made these little uh, elements available to you. If you're a Christ follower and you feel spiritually prepared to partake in that in the next few minutes, you'll need one of these. So if you did not get one of these when you came in, there's some deacons even now that are standing up. If you just slip your hand up, they'll make sure they put one of those in your hand. There's uh, also a special emphasis today that I want to make you aware of. In our church, uh, for the last 12 years, the, the first weekend in May, we've called it Catch Up Sunday. And this has to do with our financial stewardship. And, and so... Let me give you a little bit of the background of that. Each year, we recognize that uh, God has given us a big vision to accomplish His purpose in our mission field. And so usually by this time of year, we, we recognize that we're not quite where we want to be in accomplishing that purpose I've got good news for this year. That does not mean that we're spending more than we've brought in in our three campuses. Actually, in our three campuses together, uh, our spending is in line with that which you have given. It, It does also not mean that our giving is behind the previous year. As we look at our three campuses, the truth is you are giving faithfully. But it means that like at your home, expenses increase this year. And so we've got some challenges. So when we don't meet our budget goal That just means we're not able to do some of the ministries that we had planned and dreamed to do. And so we are, as some of you know, more than $100,000 off of that budget goal, so we set aside this day to give generously and sacrificially, and I would encourage you to do that, whether you're watching online or whether you're here, uh, whether you do that by texting it in or giving through our app, which I regularly do, or putting it in a giving box, or however you choose to do that, I encourage you to be faithful in this way of giving because you're just never going to outgive God. Let me ask you a question. Do you know what your destiny is? Like, like, do you know what you are destined for? Yesterday, the world watched as a new king was crowned in the U.K. After 70 years, at 74 years old, King Charles fulfilled. His destiny. Now, just think about that. He was born to be a king. It's not because of anything he's done, but simply because of the family that he was born into. During the coronation, uh, he would sit on the coronation chair, and you can see that chair anytime you visit Westminster Abbey. I've Been there on several occasions. Most recently, a couple of months ago, it was under repair for this moment. But underneath that chair, he would also be technically sitting on what is called the Stone of Destiny, or the Stone of Scone. It's from Scotland, and legend has it that it dates back to monarchs in Scotland from maybe 500 A.D., Now, now, truthfully, there's some legend that says it's a biblical stone that dates back to eight to Jacob, but um, most archaeologists say that's that's probably not the reality. Here's what we know: since the 13th century, though, this has been used in the coronation of all the monarchs in England. So they brought this in from Scotland, and they sat it under the coronation chair, and then the new king sat on that chair, over that stone of destiny. Remember what I asked you? I've got a news flash for you. I was not destined to be the king of England, <laughs> and neither were you last time I checked. But I do have a destiny, and so do you, and I've discovered that life is going to be more fulfilling when you live your life in accordance with that destiny that God has for you. So that's what we're going to spend the remainder of our time talking about with that same theme we've had for about eight weeks, which is how to change the world. I I don't want the end of my life to come and it to be as if I never lived. I want to make a difference. I want to be a world changer. I want that for you. And, and, And that's what we've been seeing in these last several weeks in the book of Romans. But the truth is we've been in a much longer journey for months in this very important book in the Bible called Romans. We've discovered that this is a book about soteriology, which means it's a book that teaches us what it means to be saved. If you've been around church much at all, you've heard that term, saved. So you ask questions like, What am I saved from? And the Bible teaches that when we're saved, we're saved from the penalty or the punishment of our sin. What are we saved to? We're we're saved to a life that can have destiny and that can have fulfillment in Christ. And so just like a a lifeguard would jump into a pool and, and save someone who's drowning, we believe that God saves us. And the book of Romans even tells us how that happens. It tells us that all of us are born sinners, that that sin has to be punished, but that when Jesus died on the cross, a historical event, He took our punishment. That's where we learned a big word. We said that when Jesus took our punishment, it made it just as if we've never sinned. It made it just as if we've always obeyed. It justified us. And when we became justified, that means Christ looks at us and we have not to take his punishment, but we have an opportunity to take part in the destiny that God has prepared for us. And so the first 11 chapters of Romans dealt with all that, the doctrine of our salvation. The last five chapters of Romans deal with the duties that flow out of that salvation that we have. I heard this that someone said that describes it perfectly. The fire to do what we do in the Christian life comes from being soaked in the fuel of what's been done. Now, let me say that again because that's a good statement. The fire to do what we do comes from being soaked in the fuel of what's been done for us. What that speaks to is the difference between Christianity and every other major world religion. You know that difference, right? Every other major world religion is about what you do. In fact, in Islam, if you f- follow the five pillars of Islam, you're gonna be okay, even if you're not from an Islamic background. In Buddhism, if you follow the Noble Eightfold Path, you're gonna be all right, even if you're not from a Buddhist background. And in Hinduism, there, there's so much awareness of so many other gods. If if you've taken on Jesus, sure, that that's great, because it's gonna come back down to what you do. You, you see, in, in Christianity, we look at things differently. We say we're accepted by God, therefore we obey God. Every other world religion says, we obey God, therefore surely we must be accepted by God. And so Romans is, is helping us understand the difference between how we live out our faith as followers of Jesus and how other people in the world do that and, and how it looks on a practical basis in our lives. When we come to chapter 15, Paul has just challenged the church at Rome, because this is a letter to a specific church at Rome, he's just challenged them to stay focused on the main thing, to put aside those kind of trivial things that are divided them, and to stay on mission. And then he gets into a very personal challenge that I believe hits straight to the heart. So in fact really what I should have done, and I apologize in advance, but I, I should have given you a content warning before you walked in the room. You, you see that everywhere now. I was just going through Twitter yesterday evening, and, and I, I said, content warning, came across that Twitter post. And, uh, so. But why would we have a content warning? Not because of foul language or because of sexual content, but because I, I just want you to know this, <laughs> this is going to be tough to hear because some of us, we've understood what it means to be saved and we feel like we've experienced God's grace and we've got our ticket to heaven. But we're not living according to the duties of one who has been saved. And when you really first understand that, it, it can be challenging. And so it, you may have come in today and you're looking for a feel good message. I'm sorry. That that's probably not what's going to happen. So I want to pray for us, seriously, that we would hear in the heaviness of these truths what God wants us to hear. So let's just pray right now. Father, once more, we ask you to meet us here. Holy Spirit, oh, give us what we need that we don't have. Teach us new things in you today. Lord, make us different. Begin in me, Lord, let the words I say and even my thoughts be pleasing to you. Lord, for the person that does not yet know you, may this be the day of their forever salvation. Father, for your children gathered here, may this be a day where we truly discover our destiny. But most of all, just as we've prayed and just as we've sung and as we read your word, our desire is simple. In our lives, Lord, be glorified today. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 15, beginning of verse 7, Paul says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. And in that phrase, we find the simple truth of, of what our lives are to be all about. My life should bring pleasure or praise or glory to God. In another place in the Bible, the apostle Paul says it this way, whatever you do, whether you eat or sleep or drink, whatever you do, do all for the what? The glory of God. So he's now going to describe then what that looks like to live for God's glory. I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. Again, simple statement there, but what he's saying is Paul's a Jewish scholar. He's talking to many other people who've had the Jewish faith so they're very familiar with what they would call the Bible, what we call the Old Testament of Scriptures. And he's saying everything you've read, everything you've learned, everything you've been taught through those that have gone before us was pointing to Jesus. And then he explains that. Moreover, That the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And then he gives several scripture verses as it's written. Therefore I'll praise you among the Gentiles. I'll sing the praises of your name. Again, he gives another one. Rejoice you Gentiles with his people. Another one. And again, praise the Lord all you Gentiles. Let the people extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the fourth passage. The root of Jesse will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will Hope, And then he, he gives us a summary. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I I try to read this passage in a lot of different translations. There's a paraphrase of scripture called the message. Listen to how it begins verse 7. It says, so reach out and welcome one another into God's glory. So if you understand that we're all in this together as part of the body of Christ, the family of God, and if you understand that ultimately our desire should be to bring glory to God, then we want to we want to link arms. We want to join hands. We want to go after this vision that God's given us so that we might live on purpose for His purposes and for His glory as we go. In other words, in light of who Jesus is, and in light of what Jesus has done, let's all commit our lives to living for His greater glory. And and that really could be a summary of what we should say every time we come together. Kind of like when a team comes together and puts their hands in in the middle, we should all do that and say, all right, now that we know what Jesus has done, and now we know what that means, let's leave this building prepared by the hands of man, and let's go into this world that God spoke into existence, and and let's tackle hell with water pistols, and, and let's live for the glory of God. Right? That's what it should be. Paul was reminding the Roman Christ followers of the centrality of Jesus. And so he uses Scripture, and he, he goes to the Old Testament and says, hey, when, when this verse was given, it was pointing to Jesus. When that verse was given, it was just pointing to Jesus. Every time you see about hope in Scripture, it's pointed to Jesus. So now that we know who Jesus is, he gives us that summary verse. He says, man, our lives should be filled with joy. Our lives should be filled with peace. Our, our lives should be filled with hope because we've got Jesus. That's what we should be thinking about as followers of Christ. Jesus is the yes and amen. That's what he would say in Second Corinthians 1:20, "For no matter how many promises God's made, they're all yes in Christ." And so through him, the amen is spoken to us in the glory of God. So he's saying, every time you see God's word speak of hope, that hope is given to us in the person of Jesus. So why is this such a big deal? When you understand what Jesus has done for you, you want to celebrate who he is and what that means. That's part of why we come to worship every week. Because there's something about praising the name of Jesus. When I look at, at my world and my problems and the difficulties and the challenges, it's easy to get overwhelmed and get discouraged. But then when I can come in and I can sing about how great my God is, and when I can read the scriptures and see how good God is, that takes my eyes off of my junk and puts it on my Jesus. And Jesus fulfilled the promises of God so that you, might, you and I might walk in fellowship with him. You understand that, right? Our fellowship was broken. No matter how good you are, no matter what family background you came from, you were born into this world separated from God, not because of something you had done. You were born separated from God just because of who you are. The Bible says that you're a sinner just like me. And that sin, that separates us from a holy God. In fact, it gets worse before it gets better. The Bible says that that sin has to be punished. The only fair punishment is death. And either we die as a result of our sin or we trust the one who died on our behalf. So the Bible teaches us that God demonstrates his love. He he shows us how much he loves us and that even while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died on our behalf. So when he died on the cross, it wasn't just at the hands of Romans or Jews. It was at your hands and my hands because he took our punishment. He took the punishment for our sin so that we would not have to take that punishment. Talks about that all through Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 10 it describes the old system and it says in verse 10 and by that will we've been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day every priest standing and performs his religious duty and again and again he offers the same sacrifice which can never take away sins but when the priest Jesus had offered for all time one sacrifice for our sins he sat down at the right hand of God and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made a footstool for by one sacrifice he's made perfect for forever those who are being made holy. That's why when Jesus gathered with his disciples right before his death, he created a way where folks like you and me could always remember what he's done for us. So I invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, to consider joining me in remembering and celebrating what Jesus has done and what that means. This little element that you have in your hand has two sides. If you take and open the bottom, you'll notice that there's a piece of bread, a little wafer. This represents the body of Jesus, which history and Scripture records was hung on a cross in the hottest heat of the day in the desert outside of the walls of Jerusalem. beaten bruised shamed for you the other side has a cup of juice this juice represents the blood of Jesus the passage I read in Hebrews dates us back and points us back to the Old Testament covenant a covenant which would allow our sins to be forgiven in the old way by the shedding of blood of animals, goats or bulls. But you heard what I read. No matter how many times the priest does that, our sins keep coming back and we keep getting messed up. And that's an endless cycle. But when the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, was shed for our sin, that sacrifice was made once and for all. So Jesus would say that evening, the Apostle Paul would later record in the early church and. All of us today still partake of what we call the Lord's Supper, remembering His body and remembering His blood, what He's done for us and what that means. There's a warning that comes with this in Scriptures. The Bible reminds us that before we should ever do this, we should, um, we should really look within ourselves. See if there's any unconfessed sin because it really says if we don't do that, we're drinking judgment upon ourselves. We're eating judgment upon ourselves and we don't want to do that. So here's what I'm going to invite you to do just in a moment. Just, it's like pressing pause in the midst of a, a message just to really zero our hearts and our minds around this idea of celebrating Jesus, who He is and, and what that means. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray that God just give us clarity in mind and that as we come back together and remember what he's done, that, that God uses us in our lives. But then we're going to sing this old hymn. And as we sing this, I, I wonder if there are some things in your life you just need to say, God, I, I, I yield this to you. I confess my sinfulness. I repent. I ask for your grace. So let me just pray for us. Father. Again, in the name of Jesus, we're grateful. We're grateful, Jesus, for what you've done. You've forgiven us through your death. Your broken body, your shed blood is our pathway to grace. So, Lord, we we say thank you. We even say thank you just for the this way you've given us to remember you, that all these years later we from different backgrounds, we can come together and find the commonality that we have in you Christ and and we can rest in what you've already done so Lord in this moment we just celebrate you we thank you for the truth of scripture, what can wash away our sins Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We take the bread. We remember his body broken for us. And then we take the cup, remembering his blood shed for the remission, the forgiveness of our sin. So thank you, Jesus. We do this as individuals and then together as a group in remembrance of you, celebrating who you are, Jesus, what you've done, and all that that means to us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I thought it's important to make sure you understand that. Because you'll never discover your destiny apart from the reality of what Jesus came destined to do. So when you understand what Jesus has done for you, you want to celebrate who he is and what that means. But when you understand what Jesus has done for you, you also want to be a part of his church and join him in his mission. And so this is, this is an area where I get to join my namesake. I was named after the Apostle Paul and agree with him in something he says here. Let me just read this verse, verse 14. For I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, you're filled with knowledge, and you're competent to instruct one another. And I, I just want you to know, that's one verse in the Bible where Paul is writing to his friends in the church at Rome and he says, hey, I just want you to know you guys are awesome. I think the church is great. And and I'm here to tell you today in a world where there's a lot of people that would poo-poo the Lord's church and tell you how bad it is and talk about all their rough experiences in church. I just tell you, I love the church. I especially love our expression of the church here that we call Mission Hill. And i just tell you a couple of things that are taking place at Mission Hill on a regular basis. Like every Friday night. This Friday night, um, some folks like you went out and about 160 homeless people were given a hot meal on the streets in Tampa. That's the church at work. Another 80 or so people showed up at our ministry center. They were fed a hot meal. Some of them went to our clothing pantry and got some clothes. Others took some food home with them. Just every Friday night that's going on. I got this text late last night. I was already in bed, but just don't tell anybody. Saturday night, I got a text and said, Pastor, we, we just finished up. Five more men professed Christ at the Hillsborough County Jail. The text went on to say, I, you don't believe it, Pastor. These guys are receiving Christ and, and then they're going back into their cell blocks and, and they're sharing the news with others and more men are coming to Christ. That's happening on a regular basis through you. You know what happens every week on two of our campuses? On two of our campuses, we're teaching people from all over the world the English language in the context of our Christian faith. And so during the week on this campus and our Lake Carroll campus, people are now coming and and they're being taught English, but they're being taught by folks who follow Jesus and who interweave in the testimonies of their faith in Christ. This Wednesday evening on this campus, we held our first Wednesday evening English class, and we had 15 people from around the world coming, and they're just getting Jesus full on on Wednesday nights. That's the church. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says in James one twenty seven, this is pure and undefiled religion, that you take care of widows and orphans. And uh, let me just tell you something. Last week, we had a goal as a church We had hoped to sponsor uh, about 150 kids through Compassion International. We did not sponsor 150. um, But we did sponsor 172 kids already uh, around the world just meeting their needs in practical ways, no strings attached. And then yesterday right here in this building, we had 40 of our widows that gathered together and our deacon family just loved on them, just demonstrated the compassion of God In their life, so much so that one of our ladies she stood up in the end and she said, I've got to share this word. I became a widow just over a year ago and I found this church, and this church has saved my life. I'm just telling you, I love the church, and I would say of you what the apostle Paul says. The Apostle Paul says, you're good. There's a lot of you. You're good folks. You're doing good things, and you're filled with knowledge. I look around, and I'm thinking, man, I could just sit at the feet of a lot of people in this room who who know so much about life and and, and even so much about God's Word and the journey of faith. You're filled with knowledge, and you're helping one another. You're making a difference. You're bringing others along. Oh, when you understand what Jesus has done for you, you want to celebrate Him who he is and what that means. When you understand what Jesus has done for you, you want to be a part of his church and join him in his mission. But there's more. Paul continues in verse 15. He says, yet I've written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. In other words, kind of like when the preacher says there's a content warning coming. I've been bold, recognizing you may not like some of this, But because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I'm not ventured to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around Illyrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It's been my ambition. Just think about that. It's been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. What's your ambition? What gets you out of bed? What's your fuel? What drives you? That's what we're talking about. It's been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would be building on someone else's, so I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it's written, then he quotes scripture. Those who were not told about him will see. Those who have not heard will understand. And this is why I've been hindered from coming to you. You know what I just read? The writer, the author, the Apostle Paul, he's not confused about his destiny. He knows his purpose. But but there's something interesting here. How does he know his purpose? If I would have written this for him, I'd probably have written it differently. Because I know his story. I was named after him. Acts chapter 9 tells that story. The Apostle Paul was a man named Saul. He was a Jewish rabbi who lived to persecute Christians. So he traveled around the known world and he would put Christians to death. And one day, he was on the Damascus Road in Syria headed to persecute Christians and Jesus himself encounters him. That's when you know that The Apostle Paul was blinded by the light. That's his conversion moment. He repents and he calls Jesus Lord and begins to follow after him and everything changes. He becomes the greatest missionary apart from Jesus that's ever lived. Probably the greatest preacher apart from Jesus that's ever lived. He goes all around the world. I would have said, man, on that Damascus road, I knew God's destiny for my life. But that's not what he said. He pointed to Scripture. Man, this is big for us. Because I've hung out with us a long time, and here's what I've seen. We depend too much on experience and not enough on Scripture. So people have experiences where they feel like God is moving in their life, and and they're on fire for a season, and then the experience dies down, and, and their faith begins to wane. And they walk away from God and His mission and the Apostle Paul's helping us understand my mission did not come from my experience. My mission was aligned with the purposes that set forth for me in the Word of God. I, I want to ask you a question. When you look at your life, are the things you do aligned with God's purposes in the world? Because when you understand what Jesus has done for you, you want to live your life according to His purpose for the world. Our ambition should match His agenda. Does yours? How do your life goals line up with His purposes? I talk to people about what they are doing in their life often. Usually it goes something like this. I I just want to be successful in my career. I want to grow as much as I can and and learn. Or I I want to be an effective communicator. Or, Or I want to be a doctor that that I use my intelligence to change lives or I want to work with my hands or I want to go into public service and, and, and help others when they're in their moments of needs or, or maybe I want to raise uh, enough funds to, to be a difference maker through my giving. And all of these are good things as long as they line up with God's purpose for the world. And, and I would just tell you, God's not confused about His purpose the number one question I'm asked as a pastor is how do I know and find the will of God? I want to tell you the will of God for your life in this world right now cuz God's not confused. It comes from 2nd Peter chapter 3 verse 9. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but for everyone to come to repentance. God's purpose in this world is that everybody would know him. God's purpose in this world is that everybody would understand the significance of his life and his death and his burial and his resurrection. See, Paul understood that everything he did in life had to filter through God's purpose, not just his desires. In other words, he knew that his story was just a part of a bigger story, God's story. The same is true for you. Last week on Compassion Sunday, I, I was so moved by the fact that so many people responded to the practical application of the message just by going to pick up one of those packets and, and, and choosing to invest in a child and a family's life. And I just thought, every week, I want to give you a practical way to respond. So when you came in today, in your seat, you found one of these three tools, and these Three tools are all things that can be put into your hands just to help you live out God's general purpose in this world. You may have got this little booklet. It's called Life three circles, a life conversation guide. This is one of the easiest ways you'll ever find just to walk through what it means to be a follower of Christ. You can read through this and begin to live out God's purpose as you talk to another person. Some of you got this card. I love these little cards. Sometimes we have wristbands that match these cards. They're just color-coded cards that walk through what the Bible says about sin, what the Bible says about death, what the Bible says about love and faith and life. And again, you can read this card. You don't have to have a, a theology degree. You don't even have to have graduated from Sunday school. You can just read this card and and put into practice God's general purpose. Then we have these wristbands and we came up with these. It has a a picture of a person and just reminds us that the ground is level at the foot of the cross and every person is in the same situation. Then it's got a a scale. We're reminded that one day our life will hang in the balance and and we will be judged for how our life has looked. But then we're told that our judge is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. His name is Jesus, and that Jesus made a way for us so that we're not judged based on what we do, but on what he's done. And, and that was through the cross of Calvary. And so we've given all of you a practical tool just to help you live out your faith. Here's what I want you to know. God didn't save you just for you. Hello? Hello? God didn't save you just for you. You were never intended to be a gospel cul-de-sac where the gospel comes into your life and just gets stuck. And yet that's, I've been around us all my life and there's a lot of good, knowledgeable people that help one another, but we are confused about this. We read John 3:16, and it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And a lot of us have said, yes, I receive what he's given to me. But it stops there. And it was never intended to stop there. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life so that you would give to others that same hope that you received. You're not intended to be a cul-de-sac where the gospel stops. You're intended to be a conduit through which the gospel flows. When the message of hope and peace and joy came to you, it was on its way to somebody else. Don't let it stop with you. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, He expects you to be a part of His mission. Some of us do that by zeroing in on one person that we're praying for, a family member, a coworker, a classmate, or a neighbor. I hope you have your one, that one person in your little corner of the world that still needs to know Jesus. If not, maybe you should think about that. Who's your one? However you approach this, here's the reality. Our story should always be about promoting God's greater glory. And, and what's crazy is I feel like too often... Christ followers, we, we make an idol of God's will. Like, man, if I just, when, I, when God tells me His will, I'm gonna act. Let me just tell you something. He has already told you His will. You start living for His glory. Don't make an idol of the will of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, He expects you to be a part of His church. And if you're a part of His church, He expects you to be a part of His mission. And so that should remind us that the main purpose of the church is not to make you comfortable or to meet your needs. The main purpose of the church is to make disciples who make disciples for the glory of God. And when you understand that, it changes everything. His purpose has become the decision-making grid through which you choose how to live life. You begin to say no to good things so that you can say yes to the God things He's planned for you. And by the way, if I'm living for His glory, I've taken my eyes off of me, It's kind of hard for me to be let down by somebody else. And it's kind of hard for me to be upset by something that didn't go right at church. The reason you should be upset about your church or at other followers of Christ is when they're not living their life on mission for the glory of God. Are you living according to His purposes in the world? But we're not there yet. I'm going to wrap this up really quickly because um, there's so much that could be said. But in verse 23, Paul starts by saying this, now there's no more place for me to work in these regions. In other words, I've done everything I can do here trying to get the, the gospel to people who've never heard. So in, in the next verse, he says, I plan to do so when I go to Spain And I hope to see you while passing through. I've enjoyed your company for a while, he says. But in in, in verse 25, he says, Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in my service to the people there. Now, if you jump down to verse 30, this is what he says. So I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed and the God of peace be with you all. Amen. I've given you several things that change when you understand who Jesus is and what he's done but let me give you this last one. When you understand what Jesus has done for you you want to live in obedience to his specific calling. This is your destiny moment. See, if you're a follower of Christ, there's a general purpose. You don't even have to look hard to find it. You need to be telling other peoples about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But that doesn't take away the specific purpose that God's given you. It's so clear Paul knew his specific purpose. He knew that God had created him to go take the gospel to people that have never heard. He knew his sweet spot. You know your sweet spot? Over the last couple of years, I, I feel like God just helped me tune into my sweet spot. And so I don't know how long he'll tarry or how long I have, but I, I want to spend the most of my life living in the sweet spot. You know what my personal mission is? I just want to leverage my personal brokenness, to inspire a deep belief in the God of the second chance. That's what I want to do. I want to leverage my personal brokenness, man, looking at what I've been through, and and allow God to use that to inspire a deep belief in the God of the second chance. But you could have a specific calling too. You could use something I introduced when we went through Romans 12. It, It came from Rick Warren. It's called Shape. And he uses those letters in in the word shape just to, to help you think about those things that make you unique. Your spiritual gifts, how are you spiritually gifted? Your heart, what are you passionate about? Your abilities, what do you do well? Your personality, what's cool about how you relate to other people? Your experiences. Paul didn't hide his experiences, they were a part of the journey. They were a part of that specific calling. I've also seen a Venn diagram that kind of helps you understand this. You you can look at your abilities and and those things that you do well. You can look at the affinities, the things you like to do. And then you can look at the affirmations, those things that other people say, "You're, you're good at this. Where I spend my time, it's in that center. Yes, it's things I can do, but it's also things I like to do. And it's things that other people say, hey, you should do this. You're pretty good at this. You can do this same thing. It's your specific calling in life. Here's what I know. At the end of our life, our value, our worth, the difference we make is not going to be based on the pile of stuff that we've gathered. A life well lived is not defined by accumulation or achievement, but by living your life on mission with a holy ambition for the glory of God according to His purposes. So as I wrap this up, I would just ask you, Can you answer this question? What is God calling me to do? What is my destiny? What are the gospel conversations I need to have in my little corner of the world? What is the gospel movement that I need to join and be a part of? Paul wanted to go to Spain. Now, this is interesting. I got a little wild hair right now, so I'm going to ask you to participate. Raise your hand if you're 60 or older. I want to see your hand. I'm not raising mine, but. Okay. Paul was at least 60 years old. Life expectancy would not have been what it is for us in the U.S. And yet he says, I'm ready to tackle a new dream. I want to go to Spain. Why do you want to go to Spain? Because the people there had not yet heard the gospel of Christ. You know what historians tell us? To go to Spain, he would have had to learn a new language, most likely Latin. And yet he said, I want to do this. I'm not giving up on my destiny because of a date on a birth certificate. What about you? What is it that God's calling you to do? For some of you, there's no question in a crowd this large that for some of you, he's calling you to yield your life to full-time service to him as a missionary or as a pastor or as a worship leader in some way to say, yes, my yes is on the table. For others of you, he's saying in your business field, you make a difference for him. You be intentional. Stop being a covert Christian. The reality is, though, as a follower of Jesus Christ, there has to be an answer. Either you're one that goes, or you're one that sends others who go, or you're one who lives in disobedience. There's not another option. It's part of your destiny. By the way, the only way you know if the gospel has truly penetrated your heart is when you look Closely and see, has it penetrated these hard areas of my life? Has my belief in the gospel affected my family? Am I willing to let my children and my grandchildren go wherever God may call them? Has my belief in the gospel affected my career? Am I willing to adjust that however I need for His glory? Has my belief in the gospel affected my education? Has my belief in the gospel affected my finances? Has my belief in the gospel affected where I live or do I run away every time my community begins to look differently than me? You only know if the gospel has penetrated you when you see if it's penetrated the things that are most important to you. And you've got to decide if it's worth the cost. Several years ago, our church went to Central Asia, specifically for the purpose of encouraging missionaries from Afghanistan. Now think about that for a minute. It was what we call a closed country. The missionaries couldn't be there, so they were there kind of undercover, and so they came out undercover. Even in the hotel we met in, we couldn't talk about what they did out publicly as we gathered around and ate. And as we met there, you could just sense the heaviness, the overwhelming burden of the lives that they lived. And as I talked to him, I began to figure out why. He told me some of the stories, the pain, the illnesses, the spiritual attacks they had been through. And then they told me of a single lady in her 50s from our company that was one of them that had been missing at that point for a couple of years. I was shocked. I said, whoa, 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 whoa!" I haven't heard about this. This should be like on the evening news. I said, yeah, no, it can't be because we're not even supposed to be there. But she was taken by the Taliban, and, and we assume at this point she's dead. You hear that story, and you think, is that a tragedy? I mean, was it worth it? This professional woman in her 50s lose her life just to go and tell people who don't want to hear? It was 23 years ago in Memphis, Tennessee, that a Baptist preacher named John Piper. He told a similar story. That's my story, but he told a story from his church about some missionaries who had lost their life. and he looked out at that crowd of about 40,000 college students, and he, he said, "Is that a tragedy?" Was it worth it? And then he said, I'll tell you what a tragedy is. I'll show you how to waste your life. Consider a story from February 1998 edition of Reader's Digest, which tells a couple who took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago. He was 59, she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler and they play softball and they collect shells. He said, at first when I read that, I thought it might be a joke, a spoof on the American dream, but it wasn't. Tragically, this was the dream. Come to the end of your life, your one and only, precious, God-given life, and let the last great work of your life before you, give an account to your Creator, be this. I was playing softball and collecting shells. He said, picture them before Christ at the day of great judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells? He says, no, that's the tragedy. And people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. But he said, and I agree, but I protest. Don't buy it. Don't waste your life. Your destiny. I got news for you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a child of the King. And because of who you are, your future is destined. And you don't have to think about sitting on some stone to to have some sense of luck or false well-being. You are standing, the Bible says, on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Christ. Don't waste your life. Earlier in this Roman series, I told you the story of a famous athlete in Britain from years ago. His name was C.T. Studd. He's was watching playoffs in the NBA last night in our house and you, you got LeBron and you got Steph Curry battling it out on the basketball court. Can you imagine if either one of those all-stars if they just said you know I'm washing my hands of this and I'm leaving and I'm going to spend the rest of my life as a missionary for the cause of Christ. That's what C.T. Studd did. He was a famous cricketeer in England. Later in his missionary career he would become a poet. And he would write these words that I've said many times to you. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's a destiny. Let's bow our heads together. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to be super clear about what I'm going to ask you to do. And I would ask, unless you just have an emergency, hang with us for these next few minutes. This is a part of our service where we respond to what God has done in our hearts. And so in just a moment, I'm going to stand everyone, and then we're going to begin to sing a song that kind of describes our response to the gospel message. But when we sing that, I'm going to ask you to take seriously the response. There are going to be pastors from our church that are standing across the front of this room. Some of you need to come and take one of their hands and say, I I don't know what it is, but I believe God's calling me to go or to serve, to be a missionary, to be a pastor. That's not a call we extend every week. It's available every week, but I'm telling you, some of you need to respond in that way today. Others of you probably just need to come and kneel here at the front of this room. Just as a symbolic way to to say to the Lord, I I surrender. I don't understand everything you want of me. Maybe you're like a person I prayed with in the last service. I I, I don't know what God wants me to do, but I just want him to know my answer is yes. Maybe you would just come and you would just kneel and say, Lord, my yes is on the table. Or maybe you're here and as I've walked through the gospel now at least two times, you've understood that you're separated from God because of your sin, but you're not okay with that. And and you want to live your life for Him. And you want to be saved. You want to be a follower of Jesus. I I want to invite you just to come and take one of our hands and just say, Pastor, I need to be saved. That's all you got to say. Pastor, I need to be saved. Pastor Eliel, Pastor Nick, Pastor Zach, Pastor Paul, I need to be saved. Just tell us that and We'll introduce you to Jesus today. But don't miss this moment. Don't waste this moment. And let's not waste our lives. Let's stand together. Now, Father, this whole time has been about you. Even as we honored little graduates from We World and high school graduates, we pointed to our desire for your glory in their lives. When we've sung, we've sung the name of Jesus. And we've told you how grateful we are. Lord, as we've prayed, we've cried out for you to meet us here. And now, Lord, we simply surrender. God, I I pray that you move all the humanity out of the way. Holy Spirit, that you would work in what we've often called this time of invitation and use this to further your kingdom and your purposes in our lives individually and in your church globally. I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're singing, You Step Out, You Come. Right now. As God leads, You Come.